I am really delighted to introduce you to Maria Bolden. Maria is Vice President, Executive Partner at Gartner's Chief Sales Officer Community. She's been at the big research company since 2019, which followed a 33-year career at chemical giant DuPont Company. In Maria's last 10 years at DuPont, she led the sales function at a $6 billion a year business unit. By the way, for all of you who know me well, I'm also delighted to confirm that Maria Bolden is my sister-in-law. Maria and I spoke about a huge problem that I have seen my entire career in the thought leadership profession. That problem happens when thought leadership researchers and a company's other subject experts create a powerful concept, the firm's editorial people help them capture that concept, and then the marketers put the thought leaders on the big stage in compelling self-published articles and prestigious management journals in best-selling books. And then all that marketing activity results in clients reaching out to the firm that produce these concepts only to find that that firm's business developers, their salespeople, can't continue the discussion in a useful way. That spells big opportunity lost. From my experience in thought leadership, far too often thought leadership research, marketing, and salespeople are not on the same page at all. But when they are, thought leadership can turn into revenue rapidly. Maria provides many strong ideas for thought leadership professionals especially how they can work more effectively with their colleagues in sales. Okay, so Maria, since the big, the pandemic began in um, early 2020, it's been over three years, I guess. Um, how have the most effective... It feels like an eternity. It really does. I mean, it's like BC and, you know, AD. So how have the most effective B2B sales forces changed uh, the way they operate since the pandemic began? Do you see any patterns, any threads in what the most effective B2B sales forces are doing differently than the worst performing B2B sales oh, force? Yeah. I mean, Bob, there's an incredible amount of separation happening right now between the leaders and the laggers. In fact, there's not, not many people play in the middle anymore because the world is forcing a split. And first and foremost, those leaders have embraced the fact that figuratively and literally, buyers aren't where they used to be. So today, 75% of B2B buyers don't want to engage a seller at all. Not on the phone, not in a video call like this, not in a chat box, and certainly not in person. And with the seismic shift to remote work, most aren't even in the office anymore. So... Our, our data also shows that a B2B buyer's appetite for digital commerce, which is what they're doing when they're not seeing sellers, may also exceed their ability to actually make a high quality purchase online. So even though they want to buy that way, doesn't mean they're good at it. And we actually found that buyers who did it on their own, did completely self-service and bought via digital commerce transactions, actually have much higher buyer regret. They're, they're more likely to say that, they should have consulted more information, taken longer to make their decision, and even bought something different altogether. So this is really important for commercial leaders because customers who regret their digital commerce purchases aren't likely to come back anytime soon, even with a rep. And that's bad for long-term customer loyalty and account growth. When Maria and Gartner talk about quote-unquote commercial leaders, they're talking about the people who lead sales, marketing, and thought leadership research. 
Commercial is an umbrella term that signifies their collective activities. Now, our own surveys of producers and consumers of thought leadership show a big divide between the marketing, sales, and thought leadership research functions that produce thought leadership content and bring it to market. Marketing, sales, and thought leadership research typically are run by different people, and they often report to very different people in a company. Our research has found that getting them all on the same page is both rare and difficult. So the best companies are recognizing that pure play digital commerce is more likely to lead to regret than having a rep in front of the customers. But um, when you when you push a rep on a buyer and, and they do mostly a rep assisted learning and buying, they only have a 31% chance of closing a high quality deal, meaning, you know, long-term, great profitability, big commitments kind of thing. So you know, with that in mind, when you combine the best, what the best companies are doing is they're combining the right digital experience with placing, embedding a sales rep at the right times. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, and that's what pushes the probability of a high quality deal into the 60s and even into the 70 percentiles. And it's this data point, it's that manifestation more than the 75% preferring a rep-free environment or the buyer regret data. It's that that likelihood of closing a high-quality deal by combining digital and, and the right rep placement. That's what the best or B2B organizations are doing versus the laggards. We're increasingly seeing a commercial environment where forcing your buyers to engage a sales rep could be the completely wrong thing to do but leaving them to their own devices literally um, isn't the right answer either. So long story short, the first thing the best commercial organizations are doing is striking the right balance based on what they know about their customer journey between digital and rep-assisted, where they embed a rep where customers are most likely to make a mistake, get stuck, or otherwise make a bad decision or no decision at all. And the other thing they do is they build agility into their organization. We're in a never normal world. You can create a world-class commercial team and it'll be obsolete tomorrow. So your people, your tools, your processes, they need to be agile and looking at the right parts of the horizon to know when the world needs to shift, to know because the world needs you to shift because it will. Yeah. And so these leaders and, you know, the laggards, um, these leaders, what roughly what percentage of B2B companies that you research or you talk to, what percentage of the B2B companies that you're aware of are, quote unquote, leaders change the way they sell? I would say, you know, it's it's almost like a, a sales pipeline. It's it's in different stages, if you will. There is a a small percentage, maybe less than 20 percent that are there. You know, they have a unified commercial engine that is doing what I just described. And, and there's probably about 40%, well, maybe less than that, maybe another 20% that are going to go the way of the dinosaurs because they just can't wrap their heads around it. They're either going to get bought or they're going to get out. And so um, they're and still then, selling the way they sold pre-pandemic? Oh, yeah. We still have 2019 sellers going into a 2023 buying environment, and it's a kill box for them, and it's tragic to watch. So a lot of times when I get there, the first thing I do is try and get them some relief. And in some cases for sellers who can't 
figure out, you know, that won't adapt, you find them a soft landing, which sounds ruthless, but it's good. It's better for them and it's better for the company. So do you think that their belief is that, well, you know, people are coming back to work in the good old days, Mm -hmm. pre-pandemic, you know, it's going to go back to normal. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot that believe that. But what I can also say is, again, back to that concept of a a funnel and and people working their way through um, right now. I mean, I predominantly I almost exclusively the type of of offering that Gartner has, uh, my employer has, is for chief sales officers, chief revenue officers. Forty two percent of my client base also owns the marketing function and thought leadership. Wow. That's the rest of that middle that I was talking about. They're in they're in process. So where does thought leadership come into play here? How important is it in kind of the new commercial engine you're talking about? Well, it's it's incredibly important because, you know, thought leadership isn't about just cooling saying cool things at conferences and and customer events. I mean, there is such a storm of information and inundation and overload of information uh, and and high quality, good information, thought leadership helps separate that. It helps make sense of that. It helps give direction to that. So it's incredibly important. And uh, you think most of the B2B companies that you work with and know of, they get that now, whereas they may not have gotten that five years ago. They're coming around. They're coming around. I think there's still a lot of companies out there that think thought leadership is just saying pithy things and doesn't actually contribute uh, to the rev engine and to profitable revenue growth. Um, And they are so connected. So really critical to help companies understand that bridge to how it helps the top and bottom line. Uh, And unfortunately, a lot of people don't understand that. In fact, a survey that we led with Frenesis Partners and Rattleback in 2022 found that 71% of B2B companies saw thought leadership content as being very or extremely important for their salespeople to use in their discussions with prospects and customers. And the percentage was 84% in the most effective companies at thought leadership. However, when we asked them to rate how effective their company's salespeople were at using thought leadership content to sell their services or products, less than half, 48%, said those salespeople were very or extremely effective. This really distinguished the best users of thought leadership from the worst. 97% of the best users of thought leadership said their salespeople were very or extremely effective in using thought leadership. Not one of the worst users of thought leadership said the same. So have you worked with B2B companies in the last few years since the pandemic that that are trying to get thought leadership research, marketing, and business development sales working together much better, say, than they had worked together before? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, a lot of our work today is to unify that commercial engine. And I'm I'm very deliberately saying commercial engine because, you know, there was a time sales and marketing was one word. People kind of referred to it in in one instance. Uh, And and as of late, there's been so much separation between the functions. And and honestly, a lot of confusion about what thought leadership really is. And and obviously your book and your work goes a long way to actually define that and make it executable. Um, So we're finding a lot of companies that just don't understand that integrating isn't isn't hard. 
Um, but it involves some some important decisions that need to be made. And they're not hard decisions to make, but they're hard to mobilize. Yeah. Yeah. Why, what makes them hard to mobilize? What are some of the biggest challenges or barriers there? Unfortunately, a lot of times it's office politics and paradigms and, and a belief about what the functions are supposed to do. Where does the disagreement come in? Is it, uh, well, the marketing person thinks it should go this way and the head of sales believes that it should go a different way? And the head of leadership research thinks something completely different. It's true. No, that that's a lot of it. I mean, you you and I had talked before about there being kind of different pages, marketing, thought leadership, salespeople, they're always on different pages. And, and it's very true. Many of the organizations that I support are stovepiped. They put thought leadership and the marketing people doing their critical work, but either not collaborating with the sales team in that process or frankly, the sales team is ignoring it and it's not part of their process. So there's no way for a company to be sustainably successful when you let that happen. So it's kind of a twist on that Japanese proverb, thought leadership and the associated marketing without sales is a daydream. And and sales without thought leadership and the associated marketing is a nightmare. Now, I, I do see it changing for the better. Like we said, a lot of companies are building that commercial team and and a revenue engine. Uh, And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're combining the functions, but they are putting them into that unified commercial engine that that works together, that's measured on common goals and focuses on customers to guide that work together. And we talked a little bit about why it happens. My perspective on why we're finding companies like this is in a lot of cases, each of these groups have, have stovepiped their own processes and they're not connected. They're not held accountable to connect. They're not held accountable mutually for how it affects the top and bottom line because that feels too salesy. I didn't sign up for sales. Only sales seems to own the number. Now, I'm not saying everybody needs to be on the same variable compensation model as a seller, but there need to be some metrics that thought leadership research, marketing, and the sales teams are accountable to hit together. Now, I like that to be in the form of pipeline metrics from the very beginning of awareness all the way through, but that's a common and direct link to the right kind of revenue growth. And when you do that, thought leadership research and marketing, the marketing built around it become more than a desktop exercise that, that sellers say, yeah, maybe I'll use it, maybe I won't, or I'll just change it. So whether you call it a pod or a commercial team or a segment team or whatever, that team shares a goal, has skin in the game to achieve it, and it drives their day-to-day work to collaborate. That's what the best commercial teams do, and that's what we try and help them drive. Yeah. And so revenue goals have to be part of the metrics involved here, right? They they do, or they have to be at least within spitting distance. So I, I had mentioned pipeline metrics. You know, I don't have a problem with, I like having team revenue goals. You know, it's not like, you know, you can't necessarily give a, well, maybe you can. I mean, a lot of companies are creating these pod concepts where thought leadership marketing or thought leadership research marketing and sellers all support the same customer ecosystem, whether it's a market segment or an industry segment or a behavioral segment or whatever. Um, and they do have a revenue goal. Um, now, the sellers, are, their pay is tied to it. For the others, it's more of a, a different type of performance management. But they also have other metrics around 
how that pipeline works, whether it's a prospect or an established customer. Um, and that works really well. Mm-hmm. Do you ever hear from thought leadership marketing people or thought leadership research heads, you know, to something to the effect of we should not be measured on revenue, you know, on our contribution to revenue. We should be uh, measured on things like awareness or downloads or share a voice or, you know, let the salespeople be measured on revenue because they're the ones talking to customers. We in marketing and thought leadership research, we are not talking to customers. Yeah. I understand. And and I do. I get that a lot because there's there's a discomfort there. There's a discomfort there because the hook's set pretty deep when, when you own part of the revenue number. And that's a rush that salespeople get and an aversion that most people who aren't don't have sales DNA don't get. In fact, um, or they, they get the aversion, they don't get the rush. I don't have a problem with digital instances and and stages of pipeline development um, that follow being part of the common metrics. I want, as a leader, I want a team metric that everyone is accountable to hit. And to me, that's top line and bottom line. And when you have a company that doesn't feel accountable, when you have people in your company that don't see how their work directly impact profitable revenue, you've got disconnects and you've got stovepipes. Yeah, I agree. I've, I've heard, you know, countless times. Thought leadership should not be measured on revenue. And my belief is that comes from thought leadership research or marketers who are not entirely confident that their content is all that good. And they can be measured on how many doors it opens and how many of those doors lead to proposals and how many of those proposals lead to wins, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They are a little bit unconfident about the content they're producing. And, you know, I say to them, your company is investing in thought leadership research and marketing, not because it's a research company or a publishing house. They're there to generate top line and bottom line growth. And if you're not fitting to that and you're not being measured on that, I don't know what you're doing. I couldn't agree more. But you'll, you'll get, I'll get a lot of pushback on that from folks. I believe who- it. You know? And that's why, unfortunately, it gets a wrap of being a desktop exercise. And just like sellers who can't execute in a 2023 buying environment, as a leader, in my humble opinion, our role is to structure the best organization. If you have people who aren't comfortable with the metrics that you're setting, you help them find another opportunity that showcases their skills better. Yes. Do you often hear from um, thought leadership research and mar- or marketing people, as I do, Uh, Okay, if we're going to be measured on revenue along with the salespeople, that's okay. But the salespeople in our company never tell us when company became a customer, a client, they never tell us marketers or thought leadership research people when, in fact, the client read something that led to a sale. They, the salespeople don't want to give us any credit for anything that may have precipitated interest in, 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 in a win. There's there's two issues there. There's two issues there. First and foremost, you've got a communication issue in the form of no feedback loop. And I'm not saying it needs to be for credit, but you know, if thought leadership, where is a company and and their their awareness generating engine getting market feedback if they're relying on only the sellers to tell them about it? Now there has to be a customer. There has to be a sales feedback in without question. 
and, and you build that into their process. Sales operations, sales leadership has to build that into the sales process. That has to be just as, as critical as any part of the sales process, as, as having a count plan, as having a contact strategy, that feedback loop has to be systematized and have the sellers have to be accountable to do it. But again, there should be a very clear data set of all of the, the things that contribute. Like we talked about digital instances. We talked about pipeline metrics. You usually have four stages or so of, of most sales pipelines. What's going into the top of the funnel? How many? Where is it coming from? And how does it qualify through each stage? And then, you know, the final stage being they bought it. Here's the feedback. And from your customer success or your customer service or your customer experience people, not just the salespeople, but feedback from them as well. That's all systematized. It doesn't have to be some conversation that they have at the water cooler. Can be, but that's not what the best companies do. They measure it. They measure it. And so uh, let's talk about the buyer process here, you know, mm -hmm. how the buying process has changed, because I think that's kind of implied and embedded in what, what you're talking Absolutely. about. So the buyer process of buying a, a B2B product or a B2B service has changed since the pandemic set in. And uh, since salespeople are often no longer showing up, you know, knocking on doors and taking people out to golf and, and all that Steak stuff. dinner. <laughs> right. So... So I, in a way, I think what you're saying is thought leadership, research, and marketing people, if this whole thing is set up right, they shouldn't be have to count on the salesperson telling them, oh, when I was in, when I talked to so-and-so, he or she mentioned um, the book that you guys published uh, three months ago is the reason that he or she called me. You know, you're saying thought leadership, research, and marketing people, if they're relying on the salespeople to report some piece of thought leadership that precipitated a discussion, that's not a good place to be. It's not, I'm not saying you shouldn't get some because sellers should have the opportunity to give that feedback and, and marketing and thought leadership research, thought leadership research people should have the opportunity to get it. But if you're relying on that type of analog feedback in a digital world, you're DOA. Yeah, it's not scalable, right? I mean, not at all. And it's not sustainable. Because salespeople have better things to do with their time than go back to marketing and talk. You need them to have better. You need them to be spending their time someplace else. The last thing you need is them tied up in a feedback loop. Yeah. You need them growing. You need them driving customer experience and, and supporting what their customers and prospects need. So what do you think are the, the biggest misconceptions that, uh, that thought leadership research, thought leadership marketing, maybe even brand marketing and salespeople have about each other when they do attempt to try to work together to present a, a unified and effective front to prospects and clients. That's a great question, but I feel like I should be asking you that. But um, I would say there's an assumption often that sellers will just ignore anything you're putting together for them or alter it beyond recognition, um, that they'll just rely on charm and communication skills and that steak dinner versus the power of thought leadership and the science of marketing. I guarantee you, if you give a seller a proven way or a highly probable way to close more and to consistently close successfully, 
they'll use it. In fact, they'll be banging your door down for it. So I, I would say that there's a misconception that sellers aren't professional, that it's, it's about, you know, all those old school things that frankly, you know, if you haven't washed those sellers out of your organization yet, you can do the best thought leadership marketing in the world. And it's not going to matter because somebody's got to close it. Um, it. It won't sell itself no matter how good it is. I think the other thing is in the best organizations, people even still assume that there's no process for sellers. And unfortunately, a lot of companies earn that because they have relied on charm and communication skills. In this environment, it's a recipe for disaster. So in the best organizations, um, you have to assume there's a strong sales process that takes companies, um, that takes opportunities and converts them into sales, whether it's prospects or existing customers. And then if, if you don't already have that, you have to create that process with your sales team. Sales is a science. Marketing is a science. Thought leadership is a science. It has to be treated as such. It's not just, you know, goof or dust and charm. And I think the other thing is um, people have to understand that there's a, there's a misconception that the impact from thought leadership research and marketing can't be measured, that it really is just extra little seasoning on, on an engine. That's not the case. This can be measured at the top and at the bottom line level. And, and when you can show that, you, when you can show what it's worth to the company, to each product, to the seller within it, you, you get those kind of results. Sellers won't dismiss it. Leaders who have to make budget decisions will take it seriously. And the commercial engine becomes unified. Yeah. Do you? So some of the misconceptions I see is uh, the marketing people think the salespeople don't read the thought leadership content. They don't read the book, company published. They don't read the latest research report. They have, you know, when a, when a client or a prospect raises his or her hand and asks to talk to someone, sales uh, salesperson, the salesperson typically has read nothing. And it looks like a fool in front of the, the prospect or client. Client's very interested on some service based on some great piece of content that the that the prospect read and the salespeople, salesperson says, I, I, I haven't read it. I'll have to read it, right? Exactly. Exactly. The marketing's perception is sales, a lot of marketers' perception is salespeople will be unprepared to hold a thought leadership discussion or a consultative sale or a challenger sale. You know, the And if they're right, then the onus is on them to either upskill those sellers or to get them out of their organization. Like I said, I hate to sound Machiavellian, but in this environment, you're doing everybody a favor when you build the right organization. And you know, just because somebody has great institutional knowledge, that's not a sword. It's not a shield. They need to go. Yeah. Do many salespeople that you've seen over the last three years, do they realize how much some the impact of some really great thought leadership content. And I'm not saying every piece of thought leadership content out there is great. Most of it is not great. But there are pieces of research or books that are really memorable and which clients react to and say, this is great. I want to talk to this organization behind this research report or this book or this great presentation that I saw at the industry conference. Do you think most B2B salespeople understand just how much a customer uh, can be affected by a great piece of thought leadership? Honestly, I don't. I mean, I you know that I do a lot of work um, with companies to deploy commercial insight, to develop and deploy commercial insight and to weave. I mean, a huge component of that is thought leadership. And it is still a bit disappointing to me 
how many people, no matter what you call it, they don't get that. Um, they understand digital. They're, they're getting a better understanding of digital. They're finally coming around to the fact that they need to understand their customer ecosystem, their customer journey, their customer experience, and, and the digital processes that their customers engage in, where they get stuck and that kind of thing. But unfortunately, whether you call it, you know, obviously commercial insight and thought leadership are different things, but the concepts, um, I would say the average organizations still struggle. They're trying. And, and that's where our work comes in, um, but they're not there. When Maria talks about commercial insight, she is referring to a concept of the corporate executive board, the research company that Gartner purchased a few years ago. CEB did research on what the best B2B sales organizations did differently and labeled their methods as the challenger sale. A commercial insight tells customers something they didn't know about their problem, which a supplier solution can uniquely solve. Okay, last question. Um, and this is about chief sales officers and what they can do to improve the, this game that we're talking about here, the way that thought leadership is rolled out to market. And what do they need to do to improve the people they manage and the salespeople on the front lines to capitalize on? If there's great thought leadership research going out there and marketing's doing its job, what does the chief sales officer have to do if sales is not doing its job? Sure. Well, as I mentioned, you know, there's a privilege to leadership and and there's a responsibility to leadership as as you are building your best organization. Um, so, you know, it's it's not the Hunger Games, but in some, to some extent it is. You get the right people. You surround yourself with strong people and in this environment you know, you got to either help people have the skills they need or help them find their next opportunity, not in the sales organization. So the other thing that maybe comes ahead of that is they need to be able to educate people on the financial impact of their thought leadership program. It's not a desktop exercise. It's not esoteric or a feel good. You can and must quantify the impact or it's not worth doing. And when you quantify the impact, People get it and they understand that when they understand those connections, they tend to come along. And, and I think the other thing, and we talked about this a little bit earlier is, you know, if you lead the whole commercial function, even if you don't, you've, you've got to collaborate as leaders to make sure that the sellers aren't the only function responsible for hitting a number. Again, show the sales team and their leaders how great thought leadership programs impact the top and bottom line and connect that to parts of their sales process so they understand how the thought leadership program should be leveraged and how to actually do it and then help the rest of the organization understand how they connect to it. Now, I'm not saying sales is the most important function, but we're in business to create profitable revenue. You're either supporting the people who specifically close the profitable revenue execution or are you doing it? There's only two. And it's not rocket science. It's got to be executable for the people who are closing those sales. And, and that could be a machine or it could be a human or it, could, it should be some combination of the two. But it's got to be executable by tying that thought leadership, by tying that marketing engine into the sales process and showing them how it will impact their specific results, not in general, 
specific to your company, specific to your products, to the sales rep, and to your customers. So thought leadership isn't just about, you know, you got to help your sellers understand it's not just about saying cool stuff. It's about driving change that makes for a better customer experience, better results for the customers, and in a way that leads to better results for you and the company. You connect those dots for the sales team and you've got the keys to the kingdom. And the last thing is, as a leader, there's no us and there's no them. There's one unified commercial team that delivers for your customers and for your company. And any leader that tolerates anyone saying, well, they did this or they didn't do that, that's not a leader. Right. And I'm sure you hear this, right? Screwed us again or sales screwed us again. They didn't work at this deal happened because somebody read this publication of ours and then they called a salesperson and then that, you know, was exactly. like marketing opened the door. You can have great capability, but if they're not working in unison, it doesn't matter. Yeah. By the way, one of the biggest um, complaints that marketers and thought, no, thought leadership researchers have about salespeople is when thought leadership researchers know that a current client or a prospect would be a good research case study for some research that they're doing. And they go to the client office, the salesperson, and say, "We would we're doing research on this topic. We would lo- I know you you have this account. We would love to talk to this account about how they've been dealing with this issue. And if they're best practice, we'll feature them as a best practice case study, and we'll give them total editorial control over anything. And there's no risk to the client or prospect of participating in our research. We really want to talk to this company because we think they really are a best practice." And the client officer salesperson says, stay away from my customer. Oh, yeah. Right? There's a wall. That's part of the divide here, right? It's If you get rethought leadership research, marketing, and sales folks working together, those faults don't exist. I couldn't say it better. And, and they're accountable for at least something in common. That's how you make one team, one goal, one team. Well, Maria, this is terrific. Thank you for your wisdom and your time on this topic. And I know we will have many future discussions on this fast evolving area. I love this topic and uh, I, I love talking about that connection of your work and mine because that's where the magic happens. So thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. We will talk soon. I look forward to it. Thanks, Bob. I hope you found the interview with Maria Boland to be enlightening. This issue is extremely important to all of us thought leadership professionals. If we can get on the same page with the people who sell our firm's expertise, it makes for a powerful combination and a combination that our competitors are not likely to have. If you want to find out more about Maria Bolden and her ideas, you can also watch Maria in action on Gartner webinars one of which was held earlier this year and was on the topic of closing the diversity divide in sales. Everything Thought Leadership is a video and podcast series from Boudet TLP. It's for thought leaders and thought leadership professionals, the people who help experts get recognized as thought leaders. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you left a like and if you shared the episode with your colleagues. You can find out more about Boudet Thought Leadership Partners at boudettlp.com.